Well, good morning again, and uh, we'll be um, we're gonna we'll be in James chapter five this morning. James chapter five, beginning in verse seven. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If not, uh, it'll be on the screen here in just a second. James chapter five, beginning in verse seven. Let me tell you, it's good to be with you all this morning, and I uh, hope you're doing well. I know the allergies have gotten a lot of us out here, so you're a tough group hanging in there with that. Okay. So it's good. Well, how awesome is, is this day that we get to celebrate Mother's Day? Um, and I wanted to say a quick word, too. I know some of us, as we go celebrate that, there is a, um, there's a lot of joy in it, but there can be a lot of pain in it as well. And so some, of, some, of, some are longing to be mothers, and that just hasn't happened yet. Um, some are missing a child. Some are mourning a child who's gone off in some way, and some people are, they're missing that mother or grandmother that they wish was here with them. And I understand that, and we acknowledge that this morning. And I think that we, we need to remember that this morning as we come to God's Word, because it is there, only there can we find true hope in those difficult situations. And so our prayers are with all you ladies out there, and all, all you men too, or who may be in that point where this is a happy day, but it's also got that, just that little darkness there that you know that. I want you to know something. Christ is coming, and He will make all things right. The tears will be wiped away. And in fact, it is His coming which we will be talking about this morning. If you remember back, and what we've been doing for, for several uh, months now has been walking through verse by verse through the book of James. That's one way we like to do things here is walk verse by verse through a book of the Bible. And we are now, we've come to this point in James chapter 5 where in verses 1 through 6, he has talked about this wicked rich wicked rich people who had been persecuting those righteous brothers in Jesus Christ. And, they, they, and, and James pronounces a, a judgment on them and said, when the Lord comes, he's going to make sure that those who have been doing you wrong, especially persecuting you and making life difficult and doing injustice to you because they were rich, they will get what's coming to them. And then he moves on to how we are respond, how we are to respond in verses seven through eleven. So, if you would help, let me let's read those together. James chapter five, verse seven says this: "Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand." Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful." If you note something, look with me again in verses 7, 8, and 9. Here's something he says at the end, and so I'm going to highlight this. He talks about the coming day of the Lord, which means Jesus' bodily return. In verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Okay? You guys got that? Coming of the Lord. So why be patient? Because the Lord is coming. Okay? Verse 8 says, You also be patient and establish your hearts. Why? For the coming of of the Lord is at hand, okay? Look in verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. One of the great emphasis, emphases that James has here at this passage is this, that Jesus is coming. 
He is going to bodily return. And there's a lot of things we talk about in the church, and sometimes we overlook this, okay? We think about, we think about Jesus coming to the earth at Christmas time, okay? We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We sing all those songs about little baby Jesus in the manger, okay? We think about his coming that way, okay? He stepped out. We think about him leaving the glories of heaven and coming down and taking on flesh, that we think about Jesus that way. And then we also think about Jesus on the cross, okay? We think about him bearing sin and how great of a weight he was bearing and that he was innocent, yet he bore sins on the cross. How amazing is that that he did that? And so then we, we, sometimes we focus on the incarnation, him coming to earth, and then we think about the crucifixion. And then on Easter, we talk about the resurrection and like he was dead. He wasn't just faking it. He was, he was stone cold dead. And three days later, he breathed again. And then some of us, we even think about the ascension. Like, yeah, then he, then he went to heaven. But there, when it comes to the coming of the Lord, the second coming, we get a little nervous about talking about that. You know why? I think a lot of times in the church, we see that as a really confusing thing. Because when you think about the coming of the Lord, you're thinking about, when's that going to be? And there's all these positions about what's going to have to happen first. Who's going to be the Antichrist? Oh, my goodness. You watch any of those, if you watch any of those, like, you know, fictitious Christian movies are out there, like, are we going to get left behind? Is there going to be, like, is the, is the pilot going to be a Christian? He's going to be raptured and bam, then the plane's going to hit the ground. And, oh, my gosh. You see that movie with Nick Cage and you see the woman, Kirk Cameron, and you're like, this is really, really, really disturbing. I want you to know, and then you read the book of Revelation, you're like, seven-headed dragons? What's going on? The great harlot riding the great beast? They got eyes and horns? What on earth? And then you got crazy preachers who are talking about blood moons and all sorts of other things that are crazy and not in the Bible, not very much at least. And you're thinking, I'm really confused. You ever been there? So when people start, when you got, you know, people start thinking about the coming of the Lord, I don't really want to talk about that. Funny enough, though, the Bible uses the return, the bodily return of Jesus Christ as a, as a, a way to give Christians great hope in difficult times. So I want to do this real quick. It's okay to study the Bible, okay? You should hear that from your pastor, okay? It's really good to study the Bible. It's not just okay, it's awesome. However, you have to keep in mind the intent of the authors and the intent of the Holy Spirit when he was writing. The, the book of Revelation was meant to encourage Christians, not to confuse Christians and make us get angry with each other about our opposing views. Read the book. It starts off, he wants to encourage believers, in the book of Revelation, we see here in the book of Thessalonians and in this book, when you talk about the coming of the Lord, it is supposed to be something that is a great hope for us that Jesus is coming. Think about this. What we're saying here is that not only did Jesus come to earth, live a sinless life with God in the flesh, not only did he die on the cross bearing sin, not only was his sacrifice accepted, evidence the resurrection, which is the receipt of the transaction, not only is he ascended to be our advocate to the Father, he is also coming again. And this time not as the humble servant, but as the righteous judge who has, because he was the lamb who was slain, has all the rights to judge men and to wipe away every tear from those who love him, wipe away their tears. That is good news. And it's very evident that James is talking about the coming of the Lord. And he's talking about it not as, you better get ready, Jesus is coming, okay? Not as, he's going he's to get you, get it right. 
As in, this is a way for you to be encouraged in your faith and to know that injustice and persecution will be taken care of. Just want you just to see that. So just go ahead and get, get some of When you think about the Lord's coming, yeah, it's, you need to study the Bible and understand what, what's coming there. But all of it is meant to be an encouragement to us that our God's got it under control and he will make the, all the wrong things right one way or the other. And so when we see that, when he comes here, he says, why? Because of the coming of the Lord, you should be patient, therefore, brothers, in the, until the coming of the Lord. Now, patient. How many of us love to be patient? Like when you go to a restaurant, like some of you, some of you gentlemen will take your wives today, or your mothers, or your grandmothers, you will take them to a restaurant. And when you go to that restaurant, you would love for them to be full and make you wait for an hour and a half, right? That would just bless your heart. I mean, that would be the best thing ever. You just love to wait. I just, how many times do you pull up to a restaurant, you've seen the empty restaurant next door, and you're like, not going to the empty one. I'm going to go to the full one and wait. Okay? That, how many of you like to do that? You don't. Patience and waiting, that is something we do not like as a culture, Something that we don't like as humans, we want instant gratification. I've mentioned this story before. A long time ago, Wendy's had pitas, okay? They did Mediterranean food, which was a bad idea at Wendy's. It's just not a good idea. And so they, they had these warmers that they, they could heat up a pita in like seconds. Well, once they went out, like they stopped, Wendy's didn't go out, but once they stopped making pita, pitas because they realized nobody wants Mediterranean, Middle Eastern food from Wendy's, they got rid of those, those things. And our church, when I was in youth, bought one of those high-powered industrial strength microwaves from Wendy's, and we put it in a youth room. That was a great idea. And we could cook popcorn. How long do you usually cook popcorn for? Not 90 seconds to three minutes, depending on the microwave setting. We put it in there. Within 15 seconds, that stuff is on fire. We caught the bags of popcorn on fire because that's how big time those microwaves were. We can't wait for our Mediterranean food from Wendy's. we got to have it now. With this idea of being patient here, that he's saying because the Lord is coming, be patient what is he talking about? First off, they're encountering and enduring hardships, his readers or James's readers. Then some of this hardship, the most immediate context, they are getting persecuted by rich people who are not, who are greedy and do not fear the Lord and are treating people poorly, not giving them the wages they deserve, um, withholding the wages, and, and persecuting those who have no means to stand up against them. Okay? And so his being patient here is saying this, that the word has some connotations in the Greek, and it means this, like, be long-tempered as, as opposed to short-tempered. Be long-suffering. When he says be patient here, he's not just saying, just take it. Just, just, just take it and don't, don't ever stand up for yourself. No, what it means is this. Do not retaliate in anger or sin, but be patient waiting on the Lord to do justice. Do you know the difference? You know, you ever say, I got a short fuse. You ever heard somebody say that? You know what that, you know what that means if they tell you that? That they're about to get mad at you, okay? That's usually what that means. Like, I have a real short fuse, so don't, don't make me mad, okay? I will hit you with my car, all right? This is, we got a couple of people laughing. Okay, short fuse. 
And it's okay to do that. This is Mother's Day. It's all right. I know we're talking about the coming of the Lord on Mother's Day. You're like, come on, chill, man. But this, remember, hope, okay? Not, not the great harlot riding the beast, okay? I mean, that's there, but there's hope in it. You want to think about this, a short, it's, it's being the opposite, this being patient, being long-suffering, long-tempered, which means you do not get angry quickly, and you do not retaliate quickly, and you put up with injustice, and you, you have that, that, that mentality, you, you are waiting, you're giving this, you're, you're, you're being patient with that person and the sin and the situation. It's the same word that is used several times in the New Testament and in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to talk about God's long-suffering with people. It's amazing how we want God to be patient with us, our sins, and our shortcomings and failings, but we don't want him to be patient with those who wrong us, right? God, get them quickly, but you forgive me. You know what I did, but just forgive me. I want you to be patient with me. Be patient, God. Be patient. Oh, how could you bring that on me? But kill them now for doing me wrong. It's amazing. God is long-suffering, short-tempered. What does that mean? He's slow to anger. That God is a God of justice and holiness, but at the same time, He is a God of compassion and grace and great patience with us. His, his fuse is not short, thank God, because if his, his fuse was short, I'd already be off the earth, okay? But He is patient and long-suffering, and that is what James is calling these people to. Yes, you are under persecution, and you are suffering injustice from rich people in this situation, and it may be injustice from any number of situations. Remember, if we go back to James chapter 1, he says, count it joy when you encounter, encounter various trials. So whatever you're going through, persecution, difficulty, the idea here is, and he is calling believers, and this is an imperative, it's a command, is to be patient because the Lord is coming to take care of things. I mentioned this before, but I want to mention it again to you. When we trust that God, when we trust God to accurately distribute justice where it's due, it really is freeing to us because we don't have to worry about, well, they're going to get what's coming to them. God's got this. Either he paid for their sin on the cross and that transaction was worthy or they'll pay for it some other day because our God is a God of justice and holiness. And so it just frees us up. And so he says, the coming of the Lord, be patient, be long-suffering, don't retaliate, resist that urge to just go at those people who are coming against you. Resist that urge, be patient, be long-tempered, be long-suffering, have this character like God in this situation. Be long-suffering people who are persecuting and doing you wrong, knowing that the Lord is coming. We talk about his coming. It's his idea of the Lord being present. He will come one day, and he will be with his people, and he will punish those who have gone against him. And that is great comfort to his people. That's how you can wait. You know it's going to happen, that he is going to come. Let me give you an example of what is the opposite of long-suffering. It was me in line at Disney World. I'm at Epcot several years ago. This is several years ago. And I used to be described as <laughs> um, short-tempered, okay? Without a short fuse. Thankfully, the Lord has extended that greatly over the years, okay? And so I was in line at Disney World waiting for this, this ride. It was actually Epcot. And we were waiting for this ride called Soren, And it had just come out. 
And we're in this line. There's 7 trillion people in the line, okay? And the line is not one of those. We in America love order, okay? Like we want the line to be short enough where nobody can pass us. Well, this line started off huge and then got small at the end. And so people were trying to sneak in and pass each other. And I'm like, really? Okay. Well, we got in front of these other people because the line merged. And this lady starts, I, I heard her like, you see those people up there? I'm talking about Amy and me. You see them? Those people are scum. I heard them. They're like, they skipped us. They, they, did. and they're talking to like, and so it's like, it's like these people, and then there's, there's these bikers behind us, like a whole biker group, okay, like they said it, and then us, and she's talking junk to the bikers about us. And the bikers are like, oh, they were there, okay? And she's like, I don't care what you say. So she's doing it, and it got me. You know, I should have been like, cool. You know, like, it's all good. But you know what happened? I got mad. I was like, how dare she say that? I'm not a line skipper. Like, that's the worst thing that could ever be called about. You're like, I don't skip lines. I obey the rules. I'm, I mean, and Amy's like, just calm down. I, like, I want to cut that person, okay? <laughs> this is not... So at the end, in a very ugly manner, right before we get on the ride, in a very abrupt, very ugly manner, this lady kind of just moves up and steps in front of us, and unholiness just came out. This is the opposite of what we're talking about, this being patient and not retaliation. I was like, oh, who's the line skipper now? This lady's the line skipper. Hey, you guys remember? Hey, Hell's Angels, you remember? Do you remember? She did it. Okay, you know what that lady did? Bleep, 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 Words not for church. And I just kept going, line skipper. And she was like, then she goes up to the employee. If you want to check this story, ask my lovely wife later. She goes up to the Disney employee, and she's like, these people are harassing me. And then they looked at us, and they were like, and the bikers are like, no. That is, that is the opposite of the patience he's talking about. You're speaking evil against me. You're doing these evil things. I'm going to let you have it. That is being short-tempered. The coming of the Lord should make us long-tempered and say, I can overcome, I can handle these things because God's going to make it right one way or the other. And then he gives us this example, and he goes on in verse 7. He says this, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. He says, now this, be patient because the Lord's coming. Be like a farmer who waits for that crop to come, knowing that something good and something, something, something that will make him money, something that is a treasure what is coming to him, and he waits for that, and he waits for the, the early rains, the early rains. He, this is in Palestine. It was a Palestinian imagery he was using here. The early rains would happen. When you think about planting a field, there's, there's many things that are needed for something to grow. Rain and moisture is one of those things that was needed, and so it was very important for crops to go well in Palestine at this time for it to rain in September or rain in October, end of November, or beginning of November, so that the, the dry ground would become soft so they could till, till it up. And then it would, the major rainy season, season would happen between December and February, and then there would be kind of a drought until right before the harvest time in the spring. So the idea is be like a farmer 
who patiently waits for what is to come. No eye has seen and no ear has heard what the Lord has for us when He returns. His coming is enough to help us endure now with patience. Be like the farmer. Be patient. We don't like to be patient. We don't like to be long-suffering. We like to tell people when they've done us wrong. We like, you're like me, maybe you're not, but you, I feel like a lot of time I'm living in that Disney World line still. I want, you to, I want you to get it now. I want you to know you're dumb now. I want you to get paid back now. That rarely works out well for anyone. And, and, it, and it, does, it keeps in mind this, that the Lord is the one who is going to take care of things like he ought. He is coming. He is coming. Then we go on into verse 8, and he says this. You also, he reminds, just in case you forgot, he says, you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. So when the Lord's coming, when you're encountering difficult situations, when you're encountering persecutions, patience is what's called for, knowing the Lord is at hand. He's coming. Second thing is called for here is to establish. What does it say? Establish. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Again, it's related. He's coming. He's close. He's imminent. So not only should you be patient, but you should establish your heart. Now, what does it mean? Some translations you may be reading say strengthen. What does it mean to establish your heart? Well, this same word is used in Luke 9, 51, not Luke 9, verse 51, about Jesus when he set his eyes towards Jerusalem. There's a situation, if you look at the Gospels, they're kind, of, they're kind of arranged in two different ways. It's the first part of it is Jesus doing his ministry. The second part is Jesus headed towards the cross in almost all of the Gospels. That's how it's kind of set up. John's is a little bit different, but most of the Gospels, it starts off with Jesus is it's, it's setting up who he is, and it's his ministry, and then there's a point where he says, I'm setting my mind, and, and more than half of Luke's Gospel is devoted to Jesus going towards the cross. What is he doing? He, is, he has made up his mind at this point. He says, I am going to, when it says in, in 951 that he established, that he set his heart towards going to Jerusalem, it's meaning this, that he had a laser-like focus and knew where he was going, and he knew his faith was in God. He knew the difficulties that lay ahead of him, but he said, I must do this. And so I believe we can kind of grasp some meaning from that to help us understand what it means to establish our hearts. It's to, it's to remind ourselves that the promises of God, they're true. Not only, not only are they true, they're enough for me to, to lean against and to li- live my life on. So I don't have to be that person that is impatient. And I don't have to be that person who is indecisive as to where to go. And there's a call here to establish your heart because the coming of the Lord is near. What does that mean? To come to terms with, to think about your situation and to remind yourselves that that Christ is coming and he has promised to make all things right. It's a resilience of belief. It's a, I believe it. I know that, I know that I have doubts. I know that it's getting tough but I will establish my heart and I will do it. How can, I, how can I put this in a way? It's difficult to kind of, and I think this is, as I thought about how can, we, how can I explain this a little bit better, it's that time when you're on the treadmill 
you're working out, and you know you need to be working out, and you know you got this time frame that you're going to run for 45 minutes or whatever, and you get to about minute 23, <laughs> you're just, oh, all right, when is this going to end, okay? At first you start off, I'm, I'm listening to some tunes or something, or you're watching television, okay? And it's all good. You're just going good. And then you're like, oh, and then you look down, you're like, man, I must have been on here for 25 minutes since like five. You're like, no, okay? And you keep going and you keep going. You get to like minute 25 and you're huffing and puffing and you're thinking, no one will know if I just get off now. And it's been a rough week and, you know, uh, I think I've had too much sodium. I might be getting dehydrated. I mean, you're like, you're rationalizing with yourself why you should get off. And then you realize that your health needs this. And so you just, I know this is the right thing to do. So you just push through that wall and you push through to get that workout done. Because you know it's better for you than not doing it. It's you're missing out on something. And so here's what it means to establish our hearts, I think, it's like that. You must trust the promises of God when everything in you, and do it now before it gets even any worse, is saying, I will trust, I will build my life upon the rock of, you, of who Jesus is. I will trust that he's coming. I will trust him to take care of those who are persecuting me. And so I'll be short-tempered. I trust this now to get me through the next 15 minutes of difficulty and huffing and puffing on the treadmill of life. I believe it. I take hold of it. I will not, I'm setting my face towards endurance. I will not give up because the promises of God are too good for me not to hold on to them. I believe it. Help my unbelief is what you're doing. And you're establishing your heart and saying, I will go even, I will stay here. I will follow you. I will, I will be patient. I will come after you. I will strengthen myself knowing your promises are true even though this difficulty is happening now. I will push through those last 15 minutes because I know what's set before me. And establishing our hearts really is something we have to do every day. I come more and more convinced of that all the time when I see my life, when I'm not establishing my heart in the moment. I just get up and I go, and I, and I just go throughout the day without, not, without getting a check of, hey, what, life, what is life really all about? What, what am I called to do? How am I called to behave in this situation? How am I called to be? If we don't keep the promises of God and God's Word at the core of our heart, something we go to all the time, we will regularly find ourselves astray in all sorts of wishy-washy about our faith. Do you know what I mean by that? Wishy-washy? It's that, it's that situation. Well, I trust God, but sin is also great. <laughs> it's that I want to be more like Him, but I sure want to be lazy I, I want, I, I want to, to, to do that where I forgive people. I want to do that. I want to be long-suffering in this situation, but I really want to hit them, okay? That's where you go, and establishing your heart comes to the place where you say, I trust the promises of God and what he says over my feelings, and I will push through this difficulty because I know he's coming. Now that brings us my another question. This was written about 2,000 years ago. And James believed that the Lord was coming. Now, I don't necessarily believe that he might have believed it was coming in his lifetime. He might not have. In fact, every, if you look at it, every generation of Christians have believed. It can't get any worse. Jesus must come in this lifetime. Every generation has. I want you to know something. 
He, he probably hoped that Jesus would come, but he wasn't necessarily believing he was here. But we're of this time. These are the last days, not just because we're in the 2000s. Every day since Jesus has ascended is the last day. It's, we're in that period of the last days. It's right before he comes and makes the kingdom full. What does this mean? It's, he's coming. He could very well come tomorrow. He could very well come in your lifetime, or he might be patient again with sinners and let time persist. But notice the fact that his imminent return may not be tomorrow or Thursday or you can't pencil it in, and he did say no man knows the time of season, doesn't mean that we don't live with the fact that life is short, and really 2,000 years in the grand scheme of eternity is just but a blip on the radar, and he will come back when he is good and ready, and we can know that his timing is right, and it might be imminent. And so we'd be patient. We establish our hearts until he comes. I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to believe the promises, even though it hurts, even though I'm in this difficulty. Establish your hearts. And then it goes on and says in verse 9, it gets a little, he gets, seems, seemingly gets a little off topic. And he says this, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So he's talking about being patient. He talks about establishing your hearts, believing the promises, going ahead and making up your mind that you are going to get through the difficulties, believing in the promises of God. Establish your hearts. Then it says this in verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So then he goes from being patient and establishing your heart to judging one another and grumbling against one another. That seems to be an odd thing until you realize the context that when is it, when is that time when you're the most snappy with the people around you? Is it when you are, everything's going good, your stress level is low? Is that when you're snappy with people? Is that when you throw a hissy fit? Or break down or say that sharp word? Is it when you're on vacation and relaxed? I'm not talking about vacation. Like, let's go to Disney World with 70 kids. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. But, you know, you're on that beach vacation where you're just like, oh. Are, are you, when the stress level is low and, and things are going really well, is that when you grumble and complain? Is that when you get upset with each other? No. When is it that you're snappy? More times than not, it's when that stress level's high, when them shoulders are aching because of all the stress you've been under. When the stress level's high, it's easy, even to a family member, to get a little snappy, right? So it makes sense here that he talks about this because these Christians that James writes to are undergoing a difficult, there are various trials we see in chapter 1, but also they're being persecuted by these rich folks who are taking advantage of them. And so there's a situation when he says don't grumble and complain. When you are at your wit's end and your stress level's high and you're dealing with difficult people, you get a little snappy. So do I. And some of the times we take it out, when we get upset, we take it out on the people that are closest to us. Am I right? You wouldn't dare say that to a friend, but you might say that to your spouse. Maybe you're better than me, 
okay? But that's how my life rolls. And I think that's why this is here in verse 9. It says, hey, listen, and as you're going through this, as you're being patient in your suffering, waiting on the Lord to bring back this, the first fruits, while you're establishing your heart in these difficult times that you're going to say, I believe his promises over my feelings, and I'm going to keep going forward. It says, also, don't grumble against one another. Don't murmur and sigh and talk about other people. You're such, this is, this is, and he says this, it's something that God will judge. And this is, behold, the judge is standing at the door. This is a difficult thing. When, when a church is going through any type of stress or difficult situation, like we got vaca- vacation Bible school coming up, it's inevitable. As, as much as we try, somebody's feelings will get hurt about something. You know why that will happen? Because everybody's going to be stressed to the max. We're, gonna try, we're trying to figure out. Last year, we tried to figure out how to fit that many kids into our little bit, little bit of space, okay? This room was like, they had four things going on in this room at once, okay? They had missions up here. They had back, you could actually still see the tape lines from when we put down, that was, that was the crafts over here. And then we had a classroom over here. We made it out of like curtains and like duct tape and love, okay? I mean, that's what we did. We just put stuff up there, okay? And people were getting decorations going. We're trying to reach out to the community. We got like, it felt like thousands of kids. It wasn't that many. It was like 70 or 80 just slammed in here and all the people and all the food, and we had no room. And it, it was just, it was, it was stressful and crammed. And so what's going to happen at that time? Sometimes people are going to get upset with each other. I want you to know something at the church and in, in the church. We are not supposed to grumble each other, or grumble about each other, but sometimes our situations, it happens. It's what we do. You get mad and go somewhere else. No, you're just going to find somebody else to get mad at at the next place, Okay. What do you do? You realize that you, don't worry about, but you, what do they do? No, it doesn't say anything about, now make sure that other people stop grumbling and complaining. Does it? The person you control is yourself. So what does it say? Do not grumble against one another because the judge is coming and he's at the door. Oh, if our kids could ever figure out that we can hear through the doors. Like, I did youth ministry for so long. It was amazing. Kids never knew. Like, how did you know I was going through that in my life? Or how did you know I was, what I was up to? You put it on Facebook. And that's the internet, the World Wide Web. I saw it, okay? If you knew that your superior or your boss was going to be right there when you're complaining about them, like they're listening in, would you say what you were going to say to your coworker? No, unless you want to get fired, okay? You want to have one of those take this job and shove it moments, okay? Unless you want to, yo, you'd be like, oh, somebody's coming. And so the idea here is don't, don't grumble against one another because judgment, that brings judgment, and the judge is at the door. Here we see Jesus not just as the coming one, who will, but as the judge. He's at the door. And there was a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards in his resolutions. He wrote 70 resolutions for life. And we, you know, talk, a lot of time we talk about resolutions only at, uh, at January 1st, you know, I'm going to get in shape, that kind of stuff. But Edwards made 70 of these. And, and one of the things he said, he was resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it was the last hour of my life. He was resolved to not do anything which I should be afraid to do if it was the last hour of my life. 
he was resolved to realize that the imminence of Jesus was coming. And so I want you to get this, this point here for all of us, is grumbling and complaining can hurt a church family. It can hurt your life. It can hurt your spiritual walk with the Lord. And we must live as if Jesus is right at the door because he is. And we must live in light of that. And so we must be careful with our speech about one another. We must be careful even in our stressful situations because a lot of times when we're going through stress, we take it out on the people we love. And, and thank God we have a group of people that love each other here. And sometimes we lash out at the people we love the most in difficult times. So the imperatives here are be patient. Establish your hearts. Don't grumble. And then he concludes by giving us some examples. I don't know about you. I learn more from examples than I do from just the brass, brass just the facts I love examples, and he gives us two examples to to remind us that of of people who have gone and have endured before us. Don't you love it? I heard this this morning, that that the Lord uses our difficult situations to be able to counsel so we can use those things and counsel other people who've gone through them. He does that. The Lord in our most uses a lot oftentimes uses our most difficult, painful moments to help other people get through them. We're an example. Like, you know, some, some, somebody might have gone through a miscarriage or might have had a job loss, and when somebody could come up to you and put their arm around you when you're in that difficult situation and say, I've been there, how much good does that do for your soul when they say, here's what I did, and here's how I got through it, and here's where the Lord was at that. I went through this health crisis. I had this. How much does that make us go, oh, thank you, God, for them? That's what we have here is this, he's furthering, encouraging these people to endure walking with the Lord and not running away from him, giving examples in verses 10 and 12. He says, as an example of the suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We, think, we see a lot of the prophets, most of whom were completely rejected, most of whom saw very little converts. He said, remember them, their suffering and their patience, and how, and it says this in verse 10, it says, remember, behold, and consider the, how blessed, those blessed who remain steadfast, or sorry, in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Think about them. Think about God's ministry in them. They weren't automatically successful. Their success came later on in life, okay, later on in the history of, of, of God's people. Uh, and, and so we see them now. Jeremiah was largely ineffective in the sense that he didn't have a lot of converts. Isaiah, the same way. In fact, Isaiah's job was to go and preach to people until their ears became heavy and dull and they hated him. And there's a great, if you, go back in, if you go back in Hebrews chapter 11, which is talking about the great a Hall of Fame chapter, Hall of Fame of Faith chapters, we got Hebrews 11, 32 through 39. That's homework. You go home and check that out. They got these, all these great scenes of the prophets, how some of the prophets, like Elijah, raised people from the dead. And they did all sorts of great things. And then the latter half of talking about the prophets, some of them were sown in two. And many of them were disregarded, and they were killed and burned. And, and you're like, oh, I want to be the first classification of prophets. And so he's given us an example. Think about these people who did the Lord's work and suffered well and were patient. Think about that life and what God has done there as an example of, of what is to come. Now, he also says, look, at the end of verse 10, it says this. You have heard this, uh, it says, verse 10, it says, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. 
James is trying to make clear that these prophets, they suffered because of their faith, not because of their folly. Some of you in this room, including me sometimes, you might be suffering because you made a poor decision, not because, not because you're suffering for Jesus, okay? Now, you come back from that. doesn't mean God won't use that. doesn't mean you can't come back. I, want you to, I just want to be just really honest with you. Sin never makes things better. It always makes them worse. It, it's really the truth. And we say, well, I'm listening to the culture here, and, you know, it seems right for, for me to, you know, to do this, to, to, to you know, to, to, do, to, to live out of wedlock with somebody, to, to, to be in this sinful situation. I want you to know something. They didn't suffer and suffering consequences for doing wrong things. The prophets suffered because they did the right things. And sometimes your suffering may be there you're, that you're going through now. If you are violated the Lord's commands, they may be there just to bring you back. Sometimes we, God lets us have the consequences of our sin just to show us how ugly sin is. And so we see that. Going on, we see in the example is continued. He says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, those who are blessed in God, those who are happy and content in God. We see those people are steadfast. He says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. We just did a section on Job. Remember Job? This is the only book of the New Testament that mentions Job. Job had a rough go of it, lost everything, lost his whole family. His wife told him to curse God and die. That's a lovely sentiment to have, okay? She told him to curse God and die. Job remained faithful even though there was a time where he greatly questioned God and and he, he was complaining, and we can understand that to a certain degree. He never lost his faith even though he got to some, some difficult places with the Lord. What happened there? He says, remember Job, and he's doing, talking about this in a good way. He says, you have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. What was the ultimate purpose in, in Job's, that, that James is mentioning for Job? It was this, that in the end, Job saw more fully who God was, and his fortunes were restored. Now, that's not necessarily a one-for-one that our portions will be restored, but he is saying this. Remember that God had a plan and a purpose in that suffering, and we should be encouraged to move on. You, you may be encouraged. You watch those stories, you know, maybe on ESPN or maybe on some sporting events. You see those stories about the person who had a health crisis and it's because of their weight, and they lose weight by, you know, going on, running, start, they start running marathons, and you just get inspired, like, man, I, I want to get in shape like them. Or you see these people who, who weren't able to have kids, and they were, it just, just destroyed them and it hurt them so much. And then you look and you see that they've adopted, they went through all this process and years of difficulty and they've got, now their family is complete and they've adopted kids from, from all over the countries and they've come there and you look at them and you're like, man, look at how resilient they were in their faith and it was, it was dark and now look, look what God has done. And that example serves to spur us on in faith. Like, listen, I don't know what the Lord has brought, will bring into our life, has brought in your life, will bring in your life, but I do know this, that we are to be patient, wait on Him, establish our hearts knowing He is true, 
not grumble against one another, and just remember the examples of those who've gone before us to encourage us on in faith that we might live a life that glorifies God. may not be how we intended it to be, but we don't live for ourselves. We live now because we are in Christ. To live is Christ and the highest gain. We live for Him. And what a lot of this is, all of this is patience, establishing your heart, not grumbling, complaining in difficult situations. What this boils down to is, I will trust you, God, in the midst of my suffering and difficulty and injustice that I'm going through, and I will take this messed up situation and I will give it to you, and I will let you take my messed up situation, believing that you got it under control and that you will take it and make it something beautiful. I mentioned, I, you know, this, this is going to get, I feel like I need to bring this up because uh, it's, this is a deep thing for me. My wife and I have problems having kids. If it was up to her, we'd probably have a bunch, but it just doesn't work. Our bodies don't work right. God gave us one, prayed for a long time. It was really difficult to wait on the Lord for that. A lot of nights questioning, more so her than me, because dudes are like, if we got a kid, great. It'll be awesome. Now I got one, we want more. There's been difficulties in my situation in our life. And I look at it now, just all the pain and the hurt that had come, have come in and out. I look at it and I said, the Lord has it. He's coming. I can be patient. I can wait. My life is, may not turn out like I thought it was going to turn out. But he has got it. I always encourage you, I don't know where you are. Maybe that is the situation, or it may be something else. I want you to know something. Wait on the Lord. Be patient. Be long-suffering with those who persecute you. Establish your hearts. Don't grumble and complain about what God has done, what He's given you about one another. But walk in faith, looking at the example of those who've gone before us, the prophets, the apostles, Job, who encountered so much, but they walked in faith. And they knew the Lord is coming, and they know that what is lost now will be restored and taken care of. There is so much more for us that is ahead than is behind. There is great hope in Jesus today. Wait on Him. Establish your hearts. Set your face towards following Him. You can make it that last 15 minutes on the treadmill. You can do it. Life may be, that, that treadmill life may be set at like 23 miles per hour. Just hang in there. Hang in there. Grab the bar if you got to. Just keep running. Because He's coming. Let's pray. Father, you are good to us. You are good beyond measure. You're coming. We, est- we, we establish our hearts on you. We turn to you. We trust you. In everything that we've been through, we trust you.
pray if there's some today that don't trust you, that they would see through your word that you are worthy of trust, that you're coming again, and we see the gospel message. We pray that you establish our hearts. We pray, God, that we would learn and see the examples of those who've gone before us, that we would run towards you with abandonment. Help those who are struggling, God, who are struggling with injustice and difficulty. Help them not to give up. Help them to strengthen their heart. Help them not to grumble and complain, but remember the examples before them. We thank, we're thankful for our church family and that we can come together, and we're thankful for your word and how it moves us. God be glorified in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.